or like a soccer goalie, like hours of sheer boredom punctuated by seconds of sheer terror. Like filmmaking is just a lot of seconds of sheer terror. It's just, that's your job is yeah. to be creative, to be calm, to be confident in the eye of that crazy storm. Today, I interview filmmaker Will Slocum, director of the web series Reception and feature films like Cold Turkey. Hello, welcome to Timeboxing, a podcast about balancing creativity, productivity, and sanity. I'm Carl Sondral, a composer and music producer in Little Armenia, East Hollywood, California. Man, my apologies on the wait for this episode. Basically, I got cocky. In the week following the last one, I started off strong by doing three interviews in three days and thought, I am killing it. I deserve a week off. And then things got real busy. I scored a wonderful autism documentary called Little Hero before going to Chicago for my good friends Max and Amber's wedding. I thought I could finish the score and this episode before the trip, but it just wasn't possible to finish and have them both actually be good. Here's a taste of the Little Hero score, which you'll hear more of throughout this episode. is I have a bunch of interviews recorded now and while there's plenty of editing and production to do in theory I'm ahead of the game look at this so usually I recommend something here I think is great like power naps a web series an article etc this very segment is actually inspired by a podcast called the flavor bin which follows a simple rule if it has flavor, put it in the flavor bin. Today's guest, Will, was actually the person who introduced me to it, so I'll give him the honors. Basically, it's these two super white dudes who were like deep into the hip-hop culture of the mid-90s. One of them professionally uh, is an editor. He uh, That's this Colby Parker Jr. He edits Peter Berg's movies, the guy Friday Night Lights. Yeah. And then Bill McMullen is like a graphic artist, basically a, like a poster and, and sci-fi geek. But they're super duper funny and like, again, it's just about these like kind of overgrown hipsters and their friendship just driving around like repping like in and out super hard and like going to like the new Wes Anderson premiere and like seeing all their buddies there and playing in like the Chinatown Soccer League in New York and like road tripping up to like Industrial Light and Magic and it's just the best. Uh, and the, one of the best things about it is like it existed for about four months in like 2009 there are like a total of nine episodes, so they really packed a lot of flavor into each of those bins. It's it's really, really good. The flavor bin. What's up, Will? What's going on, man? Good to see you. How you been? Uh, good, how are you? Good, I like your I like your spot, dude. Is that for me or is that? Moog. I saw Will Slocum's first feature, Crime Fiction, back in 2007 at Chicago's Midwest Independent Film Festival. It wasn't until a few years later that I actually met him, randomly through mutual friends in L.A. 
Since then, he's made the web series Reception, several feature films such as Cold Turkey, and he co-hosts a podcast called The Great Debasers, which is about the dangerous game of rewatching movies. I wanted to interview Will because it's clear from the way he talks how immersed he is in movies. He's also one of my favorite extemporaneous speakers, which is sort of the opposite of what I do here with these little bits of written, rewritten, and edited, edited voiceover. He stopped by Timeboxing Corporate Headquarters, and we had a nice chat in the living room. Bill Slocum, how's it going? You do this, I talk into here? Yeah, yeah. Okay, hello, I'm doing well. How are you doing, Carl? It's great to be here with you today. <laughs> you don't have to actually like lean in, it's okay. okay, okay. It's pretty... We want to get some of the environment, the breeze wafting in the window and stuff. So you're a filmmaker, director of such things as the bleak and very funny web series Reception, and feature films such as last year's Cold Turkey. I'm going to tie those blinds up real quick. Sure, sure. <laughs> Sorry. I like the breeze, but it's probably going to be really hard to edit out. <laughs> okay, yeah, so what I just said. So you're a filmmaker, director of such things as the bleak and very funny web series Reception and feature films such as last year's Cold Turkey. What first drew you to making things? I mean, I was a little kid, you know. I had little kids, like, like being creative and playing make-believe. And sure, I, mean, I think like anyone else, I, you know, I would watch Star Wars over and over again and then go in my backyard and pretend to be, like, Luke Skywalker. And I would write little poems about, like, tea. And I would, you know, build forts. And I think you're always fucking around when you're a kid. That's the best part of being... I mean, creativity at its essence is, like... Have you seen the John Cleese thing about creativity? That's one of the best... Just most concise ways of laying it out I've ever seen. It's Isn't so good. It the best? I only yeah. try to watch like once a year. Like it, it's so good. As you know, what he says is basically all you're trying to do is get back to like a state of play. There are no wrong answers. Like there's no, there's no no. Nothing has to get done. There's no problems to get solved. Like there, you leave all your crises about everything outside the door. And so, okay, so to answer your question, yeah, I was once a little kid and I enjoyed <laughs> fucking around. <laughs> yeah. So there's a big difference between that or even like as a you know as you like become a teenager or whatever you get more serious but there's a big difference between that and transitioning into an actual career you mm-hmm. know how was your adjustment into filmmaking did you really know what you're getting into well i don't know. I mean, I decided I wanted to do it when I was about 16 or 17. I was lucky enough to go to a really cool, kind of very artsy school where we would watch all these Salmodovar movies and Buñuel, and like, I just, my mind got totally blown. And I remember, I'm from Washington, D.C., I went to the National Gallery of Art and saw this movie called uh, Unchen Andalusia which is a Luis Buñuel, Salvador Dali movie. Like, they, yeah. they made a movie together when in, the, in the 20s, and it's just, like... You know, when you're, like, 15, I feel like, like there's nothing better than, like, surrealism, you know? Like, yeah, you, yeah. like you've, all you want to do is, like, get the fuck out of the real world. And it's this weird combination of, like, getting as far deep into your own self-involvement as possible, but also, like, shooting out into the moon, you know? Right. Like, dark side is, like, pretty essential when you're 15 and all that kind of stuff. First, there's like movies that's like really fun populism, which I am still obsessed with, and that's part of the reason I love to do it is because like people actually watch them, and that's when you're like a little kid. Then when you're like a pretentious 15 year old, you're like, oh my god, film is cinema, is art, is beauty, is truth. <laughs> and then when you're like 
however the fuck old we are, you have to some, you have to realize that if you're really going to go for it, you have to try to make money at it, and then you have the whole art versus commerce thing and all that stuff. But then in terms of making a career out of it, my whole thing has always just been just make shit. Yeah. People out here, especially if they're writers or directors, like spend so much time taking meetings and going for coffee and grabbing drinks and talking about ideas and... It's just all bullshit, you know? You can really yeah. waste a whole life doing that. And I, I think you just got to get out there and get your fucking hands dirty and steal your friend's cameras and cast all your buddies in it and just make stuff. You know, and I think eventually the payoff is people will start paying you for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I hear that a lot, too. Like, there's that... Have you seen that great Ira Glass video? His big thing he hits on is just, you need to just make a ton of things. Yeah. And that's how yeah. you get really good. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So now that you've now that you can kind of ha- have a handle on it, so to speak, what what compels you to create things now? Well, the other like real seminal moment for me was when I was still in college. Between my junior and senior year, I had made enough shorts and enough whatever whatevers to try to make a feature. I remember the first day. We were on this movie. We, we, all, we all lived together, of course. We were all buddies. We all lived in the same apartment. We, you know, everyone slept over and just made the movie all day. It's all anyone ever did. <laughs> I remember coming home for lunch in our apartment at 5406 Woodlawn and just sitting down and thinking that the morning that I had just spent directing this, by far the biggest scale thing I'd ever done, it was still a tiny movie, yeah. was the most complicated thing I had ever done. I mean, the combination of writing, acting, photography, score, which was to come, wardrobe, production design, the logistics of shooting the thing, crashing cars, talking to cops, feeding crew, being a manager, being a coach, being a father, being a therapist. Like, it was just the most insane combination of arts and skills and intellectual practices. It was was an amazing high. It was an amazing intellectual high. And I still feel that way. I I still totally get off on how fucking complicated it is. like the most immersive art i mean i think music is the most powerful but there's music in movies you know movies are right. so cool because they are that crazy combination of so many different art forms which you know i think uh, orson welles said that directing is the perfect refuge for the mediocre which i think is totally true it's like if you're like okay at a bunch of shit like you should probably go, like, make a movie because you know? you're working with so many different departments of yeah people. who are actually good at things yeah yeah but the hidden secret is though you have to be a really excellent communicator and that's yeah. that's like the crucial thing right yeah i yeah i think what you really learn is just how to be really respectful because everyone who's there is like way better at their shit than you are and they're trying to basically tailor their skill into your idea and the way to do that i've always found is to just to make them feel as safe and as comfortable and as respected as possible and let them do their work now you have to know what you want you have to be able to say yes and no and blue and green and walk this way walk that way i mean that's the job is just yeah. answering questions all day but um it doesn't help to scream at people <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't absolutely work. it doesn't work yeah
something I think about a lot is whether the music I'm making, putting into the world, is unique and meaningful.、Mm. You know, because why should people pay attention to this if it isn't、mm. good? You know.、Mm. So, do you spend much time thinking about your quote-unquote voice as a filmmaker, or is it more just like following your instincts? Well, you know, one of my favorite filmmakers and film thinkers ever is、uh, Sidney Lumet. Who directed Twelve Angry Men? Directed Dog Day Afternoon, and Lumet was famous for doing a bunch of different kinds of movies. He was a director; he wasn't a writer, so he was so versatile. He could make whatever you wanted him to make, and he was always just totally in service of the script, and in service of the story, in service of the big idea, in service of the actors. And Lumet said that style is the most misused word since love. You know, like being an audience member and. Feeling a voice on the other end of the line is like the most thrilling thing ever. But I think you learn pretty quickly that if it's not in service to the story or to the narrative or to the big idea, it's very, very superficial, and、yes. it only matters to you. I think when I'm writing stuff, I wrote、uh, Reception and I wrote Cold Turkey.、Yeah. When you're doing that, it's a lot easier to have a voice <laughs> because、right. you're the guy who's coming up with all the words, you know, so you can kind of tell people what to say. When you're a director, you have tricks, you have techniques, you have experience, you have intelligence, you have sensitivity, but. The job is kind of to get out of the way of the script.、Right. If you're any good, you know it really is. And you can get out of the way in like fascinating directions and in similar directions each time.、Right. You can work with the same actors each time. But the people that we think of as auteurs—Woody Allen, P.T. Anderson, Wes Anderson, Quentin Tarantino—these people are basically writers. They're writers whose scripts are so good that they get to direct them. You know, I think some of them are actually underrated. I think Tarantino is an underrated director. Uh, I think he's a, a wonderful stylist and extremely smart about、yeah. where to put the camera and why and how. But he's basically a writer. So, like you're saying earlier, making movies can be very rewarding, but also very intense and unpredictable. Yeah, it's tricky making creative decisions when you have so many people and so many departments looking to you for direction,、mm -hmm. maybe in a very chaotic situation.、Mm -hmm. <laughs> My question is, how do you, Will Slocum, stay focused and then try to keep your perspective? Well, I mean that's kind of the gig. They throw all this crazy shit at you,、mm. and you have to try to be creative in the middle of all of it.、Yeah. And the truth is that you really feed off that chaos, and that it's this crazy adrenaline, and that your brain actually sharpens in this really weird way. It's like、uh, being a fighter pilot; like <laughs> <laughs> you have to try to be like as calm as possible while you're trying to like nuke the MIG or whatever the whatever the expression is, or like a soccer goalie. Like hours of sheer boredom punctuated by seconds of Sheer terror, like filmmaking, is just a lot of seconds of sheer terror.、Um, but if you actually go to a set, like you, I'm sure you'd find it extremely boring, so you just sit around. But if you're the director, it's just that's your job is、yeah. to be creative, to be calm, to be confident in the eye of that crazy storm. Right, and kind of on just... set, on set, when you're writing, it's not that way. In pre-production, it's not that way. In post, it's definitely not that way. Yeah, the beauty of editing is that you finally have time to take a breath and try a bunch of shit out.、Yeah. Maybe it doesn't work. Awesome, fucking great. Let's keep trying stuff. On set, you don't have that luxury, and you get one shot basically because you're gonna, you don't have the money to come back tomorrow, or you're gonna get fucking fired. You know, so you just have to kind of make it, and that's the gig. 
think I'm going to close the window so that tamales are here or something. Yeah, I know. I love, love tamales. So you're a married man. Yeah, I am a married man. Great. Question. Yeah. Yes. It's just a statement. I'm just seeing what your reaction is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's my reaction. (laughs) Did getting married change how you work at all? Like, did it affect how you split up your time? I mean, the God's honest truth is not really. I think the extremely tricky thing is that, as you know, I mean, it's a pretty volatile career. So they have to be able to trust you and like you enough to put up with your bullshit. So. Right. Yeah, but marriage doesn't change that. It just like bakes it in, you know? Yeah. yeah. And also it's kind of understood that making films is part of who you are and like Yeah, that's the other thing. It's like would she even like me if I didn't do the thing I loved? Like if I was like hating life and my argument also is always that, like if I was a corporate lawyer or like a fucking doctor a or surgeon, a teacher. Yeah. Yeah, like, not that I could, I'm that smart, but, like, there's some pretty hard jobs out there. Like, yes, being an artist is difficult and, like, volatile and challenging, and the hours are pretty rough. Mm -hmm. But, like, maybe not compared to, like, being a surgeon. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm sure those marriages can be pretty tough as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Not that my marriage is tough. If my marriage were to be tough. uh, Got that disclaimer in there. So I had I had the pleasure of seeing your last feature, Cold Turkey, oh, at the Downtown Independent last oh, yeah, fall. Yeah, thanks for coming, man. Oh, of course, it was yeah, a pleasure. Yeah. Which is a black comedy centered on family relationships. You directed actors like Cheryl Hines and Peter Bogdanovich. How was it working with people of that caliber? And did you come away with any lessons or things like that that changed how you worked going forward? Oh, yeah. I mean, I learned so much. But, yeah, dude, I mean, working with Peter was extremely intimidating. (laughs) Um, This guy is one of my heroes. Directed, you know, three or four of the greatest American films of the 20th century. And he's extremely smart, and he knows his shit, and, like, he'll challenge you, you know? He really did challenge me. But you have to be, again, like, confident and calm and strong and, and stand up to him and, and know what you want. And yeah. that's also part of the gig. Now, getting notes from a guy like Peter is different than getting notes from an idiot. <laughs> um, I've gotten notes from idiots before. That's way harder to deal with. Whether it's advice or ideas or opinions or notes from a certified cinematic genius, yeah. that's easier to swallow <laughs> Than like from whatever. So it was kind of a pleasure to tell you the truth. I would go into his room and sit on the floor and, you know, hear old Orson Welles stories and listen to his theories on life. And he's a legitimate intellectual. Like he'd be in there like reading fucking romantic poetry and, and all that kind of stuff. Fascinating guy. Also, he taught me to like try, I'm really bad at it, but he taught me to like, try to be like funny on set. Like he was extremely charming. He called everyone darling and hello, <laughs> hello love, how are you? And he would blow everyone kisses and he was always singing show tunes and he had all these, all this like Yiddish humor he would bust out and he was very very at ease he was very comfortable and it made everyone else feel very very comfortable because everyone everyone looking at you the whole time like as the director whatever tone you set is that's what everyone's going to feed off of exactly so it's really i mean it's a great lesson for sure 
And I think the worst collaborators are the ones who don't bring anything to the table because why, who gives a shit? I can just do that. If you don't have any new ideas or nothing original or, or you're not right. providing anything for me, why would I work with you, you know? And I think when you're young, it's, well, at least when I was young, I was very specific and uh, strict maybe is one way to put it, or I would say no a lot. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the best things I ever did was I went to an acting class out here. And not because I want to be an actor, but A, teaches you how extremely hard that job is. It's yeah. just insane. I mean, it's so fucking hard to be any good at being an actor. Right. And it teaches you the language, and it teaches you to say yes. You know, the worst thing you can say to an actor is no. The worst thing you can say to any collaborator is no. You have to, yeah. you have to constantly be saying yes and, right. you know? And that, that's the gig, but then the gig is also to know what you want. Because the right. worst thing, worst, worst, worst thing, if it's a boss or a coach or a teacher or a parent, is to feel like someone doesn't know what they want. The person who's telling you what to do doesn't know what they want. I always say, as a director, you get to say, I don't know, but you only get to say it like twice. <laughs> you know? Like, usually you gotta know. It doesn't matter whether it's right or not. Yeah. You, you, that is way beside the point whether it's the correct thing to do. Because who the fuck knows is correct. And it's all subjective. Right. But at least if it's correct in your mind, and at least if it's like you've made a decision, mm -hmm. you're confident, that's all that matters. And it means just do, it's just doing your homework and reading the script a bunch. So you host a podcast called The Great Debasers. I do. Co-host. Co-host with yeah. uh, your fellow film enthusiast, Jeremy Galen. Like the marriage thing. Yes, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big fan. It's hilarious oh, and Carl. insightful. And I was wondering, can you tell me a bit about why you started it? Yeah, I'll tell you a lot about why I started it. Uh, me and Jerry would get on these phone calls. And by the way, like we're, f we're friends. Like We have a mutual friend who went to school with him. We were buddies, but we're definitely not like the best of friends. But when we would talk to each other, all we did was talk about movies. That's all, like, we would call, and our medium through which our friendship existed was like, oh, did you see this one? Odd oh, fucking piece of shit. Oh, did you like that? Why didn't you like that? And it'd be like 45 minutes of just, like, talking about movies, and that's all we did. One time we did this, and we were like, fuck it. And, you know, I, I'm a big podcast nerd, and I all, it's kind of a dream come true, to tell you the truth, to have a, to have a podcast. Thrilled to be on this one, Carl. Of course, um, man. You know, uh, any, any podcast is a good podcast, as far as I'm concerned, most of all my own, which is <laughs> just basically two idiots jerking each other off. Uh, but we have a good time doing it, so, yeah, it's fun. It is for you guys, like, sparring or something. But, yeah. But I don't know, I... I come away with it. There's a lot of interesting insights, and I, I learn a lot as a listener. Really? It's entertaining. You're the but one. But it's also... Yeah, <laughs> you're, very, you're very humble. No, I think the best podcasts are not about the thing that they're ostensibly about. Mm. So, like, uh, Mark Maron's podcast is, is ostensibly about comedy, but it's really about being, like, a neurotic 50-year-old and being, like, jealous and insecure and being a, being a man, basically. Yeah. The Men in Blazers is my one of my favorite podcasts ever. Ostensibly, it's about, like, the English Premier League, but it's really about these two guys who are buddies and, like, they, like, you know, yeah. what their how their friendship evolves, like, through the medium of soccer. So, yeah, I think the best podcasts are about people, Carl. That's what I think. Not about things, <laughs> you know. No, I'm with you. If I hadn't started listening to WTF, there's no way I would be doing this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I never thought, I never could have imagined I would be interviewing people. I mean, 
I never thought that I would want to be interviewing people. Really? <laughs> like that WTF genuinely made me more interested in other people. Yeah, yeah. Well, and people say that about him too. Like they, I mean, like they come on the show and like, you know, Mark, you've changed. Like you actually like oh, yeah. give a shit about other people right now. Like that's why. And you know, it's one of those things when you turn that big brain like outside himself for once and yeah. he's like, you know, he's like, you know legitimately like curious guy, uh, it'll work. So do you have any other projects current or upcoming that you're particularly excited about? I do. I just was brought on to direct a feature. It's a romantic comedy. Stars Michael Doniger and Lindsay Fonseca and features the great Bruce Campbell, who's like a nice. B-movie legend and really, really, really funny dude. And uh, Rumor Willis is also in it. Bruce Willis and Demi Moore's daughter, who's quite a good actress. And yeah, it was great. We shot all summer, basically. We shot for a month this summer anyway. Oh. It was the biggest set that I had run for sure. And, you know, it was a feature. And, you know, I love making movies, man. So it was pretty cool. In closing, I asked Will about the best way to keep up with his work and for any specific recommendations. Well, I'm also very excited. I'm working on a new website right now, uh, willslocum.com. It should launch the next couple weeks. It's actually online already since it took me so long to finish this episode. Honestly, the thing that I'm like most proud of is reception, so see if you can check that out. I love cold turkey as well. Those are those are two things I, I really love that I've done. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on. Oh, I'm a, thrilled to be here, Carl. I've been a fan of your work for uh, since fan fiction in Chicago. It's so. very sweet of you. It's very sweet of you. So it's a pleasure. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. There you have it. Will Slocum, a talented and insightful guy. Similar to Patrick Horvath, this was one of those interviews where I could pretty much just point a microphone at him and watch him go. And so much of it's good advice. Thank you, as always, for listening. You'll find more episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, etc. The same is true for Will and Jeremy's podcast, The Great Debasers, or check the show notes for a link. If you do like the show and want to help more people find it, consider sharing it or leaving a star rating. Or if you really want to help, the best way is to write a little review on iTunes. I'd love to hear any questions, comments. As always, you can reach me on Twitter at Sondrol, that's S-O-N-D-R-O-L, or just look on timeboxingpod.com. That's also the place to hear more of my film music or music music. Speaking of, the great musicians featured in this episode include Angeline Gregasson on vocals, Heather McIntosh on cello. The Little Hero documentary score you heard was engineered by Griffin Rodriguez and features Sharissa Barger on harp, Paul Curtis on bassoon, Brandon Dickert on drums, and Eleanor Wiegert on bass clarinet. Next time, I'll be speaking with filmmaker Vincent Payone of directing duo Josh and Vince. Okay, bye. Men in Blazers, if you like soccer or even like funny British people, check out Men in Blazers, which I think has actually surpassed the flavor bin as the greatest podcast of all time. Men in Blazers, check it out. I actually, I have one more. Am I allowed, am I allowed maybe? Oh, sure, sure. Okay, just real quick. I, I'm obsessed, obsessed 
It's called Stephen Fry in America. Stephen Fry is this like really tall, goofy British comedian. His dad is a professor and he almost got a gig at Princeton right before Stephen Fry was born, but he ended up going back to London. So Stephen Fry, the whole conceit of the show was like, I could have been an American. So basically it's like Stephen Fry going to each of the 50 states, tooling around in a black London taxi cab, basically mm. being like goofy and witty and funny and like drinking a lot and like hitting on like Southern dudes and just like <laughs> being really, really dry and British. So anyway, Stephen Fry in America, it's excellent. I couldn't recommend it more highly. Fla- but, 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 but really, I mean, Flavorman is like, that's the real. That's what's really going on. <laughs>